the creatives with ai podcast hello welcome to the creatives with ai podcast i'm your host david and on today's episode we have an engaging conversation with joanna kochik she's an ex-journalist and editor with over 13 years of experience who's now doing content creation and strategy with a company called authentica in poland we have an amazing conversation where we talk about how publishers are struggling with a lot of other things besides ai and it just really isn't even on their radar at the minute. So quite an interesting conversation for those people who might be into content creation or looking at publishing in general. Anyway, let's get started. The Creatives with AI podcast, the spiritual home of creatives curious about AI and its role in their future. Morning, Joanna. Welcome to the podcast. Good morning. Good morning, David. How's everything in Poland today? Very typical November, uh, meaning it's gray and a little bit rainy, but I'm I'm very fine. Thank you. I can empathize with the weather. That's usually UK weather is, is pretty much the same, gray, rainy, chilly. But luckily today, for some reason, the sun, I'm sorry, I'm looking out the window. The sun's out. There's not, not a cloud in the sky today. So we've, we've got lucky with the weather lucky here. You. Lucky yeah, you. Yeah, I know, right? Maybe start off by just giving us a little bit of background. I mean, obviously, I reached out to you because you've had a wealth of experience as a journalist and working in journalism for a long time. And I think that whole topic, I haven't had a journalist on the podcast yet. So hopefully we can... I can ask some interesting questions and we can have a, a good discussion, but maybe start off by just telling everybody how you got here and sort of what you're doing at the minute to give a bit of context. All right. So my name is Joanna Kocik and I was a journalist for 13 years. I worked in the biggest digital uh, media outlets in Poland. I worked purely in digital, you know, I never I never had this experience of working for, for a, like a real newspaper. So that was interesting because I joined the media when internet was only starting to be the big thing. And some people were thinking, no, no, you know, we don't really need internet. Uh, we'll just stick, you know, to like traditional TV, traditional papers. Yeah. And about three years ago, I decided to switch sides a little bit and decided to engage in content marketing and in growth marketing, in content creation. I was freelancing for some time, creating different kinds of articles and blogs and podcasts and also writing my own stories, my own uh, features and even my own book. And for some time now, I've been involved with work with Authentica, which is a Polish consultancy consult, consultancy and delivery team that designs custom solutions for media organizations. So like the insight I had from the media could be easily transferred to what we're doing in Authentica because I was working on, of course, some tools and some software for journalists. And now I take part in crafting content strategy around this uh, software and around those tools, including AI tools. So that's super interesting to be on the other side. And I still have a lot of contacts in the journalistic world. So lots of interesting conversations going on. But yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much my story. And maybe it's a good time to mention that just recently I had the pleasure to release a trend book, The Newsroom of Tomorrow, gathering insights from media professionals and experts about technologies uh, used in 
various media organizations and like real life use cases of innovation, of AI concepts, of AI solutions, also uh, editorial analytics. So still in this world, somewhere at the intersection of tech and media, which is actually very interesting and very exciting um, market. No, that's genius. And I'm glad you snuck the uh, you snuck the book in there quite quickly. I do have a question about the book um, that we'll get to in a minute. So we will circle back <laughs> around on that. One of the things, obviously, that that I was curious about is how how your experience in the in the the actual traditional media and journalism world has affected your view on AI and and your approach to integrating AI into the newsroom of the future. So I was wondering if you could maybe just talk a little bit about that and and kind of how those traditional values, I guess, and those traditional ways of working have now, you know, are affecting the AI and the way that AI works in journalism. Maybe I can use a kind of analogy, uh, which is quite good in terms of what is happening with AI right now in the world of journalism, that, you know, some people are super hyped, some are a little bit suspicious, uh, but like everyone is using it, even, you know, they are not telling their their bosses. But I think we witnessed a similar thing with automated translation when Google Translate started to be really good. Uh, When I was working in digital, it was like a must for a journalist to know at least two foreign languages, even passively to read, to be understood, to be to be just able to understand uh, a written text in English, German, French, Spanish. Yeah. But uh, with Google Translate and with other um, automatic translators that are actually quite good right now, it is like, of course, it's it's very useful, but it's no longer, I think, like you know, must have because those tools, although they were not very perfect at the beginning, um, now serve as a tool that really streamline uh, the work process because you can put the whole long text into the translator and get at least an idea what it is about. And I think we're observing a similar thing with AI. So it's for now, I'd say it's a tool, a tool that can reduce uh, some redundant tasks that can streamline uh, the work process, that can speed up the work process. And it's uh, like used exactly as we use Google Translator, as we use uh, some other useful tools and features. But I wouldn't say that it's um, uh, like the core of the strategy of most media for now. Like, to be honest, I I haven't seen like any strategy yet that would include like AI and at its heart. So for now, it's it's mostly like um, investigating the opportunities and the chances and assessing risks at the same time. But of course, I think it's going to be a revolution. It is already a revolution, probably like the biggest one since first papers went digital. And we witnessed this boom of internet. And like the, there are like three areas that everyone says AI is most useful at. And these are news gathering, news production, and news distribution. And this is pretty obvious because with AI, we're able to extract a large, uh, extract like information from large amount of data. We're able to write faster using generative AI especially useful for content like weather reports, sport reports, uh, horoscopes. Traffic. (laughs) 
Traffic, yeah. Traffic's another one I was listening. I was actually listening to the, the person who does my sound engineering for the show is also a DJ and he does a morning show in the UK. And uh, we were just discussing yesterday because the traffic is done by AI. So it's an AI voice and everything. So it all just gets dumped in and automatically read, yeah. which was, you know, I thought was really interesting. So he and I were having a discussion about it, about he was asking yeah. me whether I knew it was AI when I heard mm -hmm. it. And I did, but that's because I do this all the time, you know, but I think if somebody was just in their car and they were listening to the radio, they probably wouldn't even notice. Yeah. But now a question is traffic information journalism, because, you know, some people would argue, I mean, journalists still treat their profession very seriously and nobody like starts studying journalism or um, applies for a media organization to write a traffic report. A traffic people report, want to yeah. deliver impactful stories. They want to, you know, go out in this world, talk to people, uncover some facts, uncover scandals, change someone's life, maybe even change the law. Yeah, that's that's like the high goal that yeah, we all yeah. as journalists as aim Aspire. for and we strive yeah. for. Yeah. Yeah. So mm, you mentioned like um, how is this technology and values in journalism right now? Well, I worked in in big media organizations that were like really content machines. You know, we produced like thousands of pieces of content every day, and this volume was important because that was what brought money. Because that was what brought. Um, ad visibility and, you know, all those profits from ads. But at its heart, I think journalism is still like one of those professions with a mission and you can't really bring it down to pure technology and pure uh, numbers and pure uh, profits because I hope it's never going to look like that. And those values and this mission is still very important for a lot of people. Some time ago, I talked to one of the biggest experts in AI um, in journalism, Charlie Beckett. And he told me, you know, I haven't practiced for like seven, eight years, but I'm sure if I walked into a newsroom today, I could get up to speed quite fast because the journalism really hasn't changed. The tools, I mean, tools have changed and technologies have changed, but... Yeah. Even if someone, you know, even a journalist from, I don't know, 1980s uh, was transferred to uh, 2023, maybe he could, you know, have some difficulty with technology, but not the essence of what journalism is itself. No, that's that's a fair point. And I think uh, I really like your point about translation as well. Maybe one of the fun things we can do is we can take some clips of this after the podcast is finished and we can use something like 11 labs and I can translate it into Polish and then we can share them in Polish as well because it will, the, you know, there are tools now that will just translate it. There's also another platform. And again, I don't have any interest in any of these platforms. I just use them for fun, but there's another one called Hey Gen and it will it will do the same thing with the video, but it will also alter the mouth shape so that it looks like you're saying the words in whatever that language is, which is really, really clever. So yeah, from that perspective, I mean, it's it's amazing. Okay, that's cool. And I sort of like the way you're approaching that. And I guess this is something that you also talk about in your book. So again, The Newsroom of Tomorrow is uh, is the book where I think you sort of explore future trends in, in media and journalism with a little bit of a crystal ball. <laughs> and so- I guess, what do you see are the most significant ways that AI is going to transform newsrooms? I mean, obviously, we've talked about, you know, doing the maybe the less journalistic mm. stuff like weather, 
The weather's interesting. You know, Google, I don't know if you saw the article, but Google DeepMind, they pointed DeepMind at doing weather forecasts and it's actually like more accurate than mm. normal weather forecasters and it can predict much further in the future. So apparently the sort of the weather industry was very skeptical in the beginning, but DeepMind has um, has predicted a couple of things like the pass of hurricanes and things, and they predicted it exactly. And so the whole weather business is now looking at how it can use AI to to enhance weather prediction. And I'll put a link to that article and some of the stuff we've talked about also. So if we talk about anything in news stories and whatever, I'll put links to all that in the show notes. But um, yeah, how 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 aside from doing the boring stuff, <laughs> I want to call it that. What yeah. uh, you know? What do you what do you see? How do how do mm. you see it changing news? Yeah. Just before the answer, I just I, I want to relate to what you said about AI being more accurate than than people. That's like we we already know that technology and algorithms are better than people. It's just that we don't want to trust them because if something happens, then who's to blame? Like take I don't know autonomous cars, right? Uh, they are like safer and and statistically like better than than the cars that we like yeah. drive as, as drivers yeah. but any case of accident or fire is like you know so hyped by by the media that we just all think oh no no it's dangerous it's we we, we can't use this technology so i think that's that's something um that we'll have to address at some point what if ai makes a mistake like who's to blame but coming back to your question I saw I saw um, a very interesting survey by Reuters Digital News, and it says that like the general trust in news dropped uh, by several percent in the past few years, and it's mostly among young people, uh, meaning that uh, young people who say that are really interested in what's going on in the world is is just decreasing. It's dropping, and I think that maybe here AI has a real you know chance to transform journalism because if AI takes all you know the boring stuff uh, weather reports and traffic reports then like real human journalists will have more time and more space and maybe they will need to be more creative to craft stories that somehow will spark this interest in news again and also journalism today and news brings a lot of negativity you know, we still like we we are re- we are reading about accidents, fires, wars, coups all the time, and we're just tired of it. Especially after the pandemic and after the war in Ukraine, we're just tired, you know, of this pessimistic narrative. So um, people are looking for new forms, such as solution journalism that brings positive stories from around the world. Maybe you know uh, new channels that are just not here yet, but will be in five or 10 years. Like yeah. TikTok, right? Like yeah, 10 exactly. years ago, like nobody thought we would have TikTok. And by the way, TikTok and Instagram are more and more treated as news channels. Actually, yeah. people, you know, get their, their daily news and daily information from, from, from those channels. And it's like totally possible to deliver serious news in this funny, gentle way, kind of infotainment, but um, also very personalized. So I think that AI, uh, paradoxically, you know, if it takes part of the like redundant tasks, 
even part of the jobs because that's um i think that's evident that uh, it will like like take a significant part of the job market also in journalism so people who did this seo journalism this yeah. Yeah, like very easy content. They will just, you know, they will be probably more expensive than AI, so they will just drop off. But I hope it will uh, create some space for more quality journalism. The journalism that you still need to, you know, go somewhere, talk to someone, dig into some papers. And I really think that that might be a chance for like more creative way of writing, of delivering stories. Because we'll still need um, people, humans, who will guide us in this world, which is getting more and more complicated. We'll need someone real to explain it to us. That's that's the chance I see <laughs> in development of AI, maybe, I don't know, five, ten years. And in the shorter perspective, it's difficult to say because we're still in this stage of testing and experimenting not actually employing AI tools in in daily workflows. And we still somehow lack this bridge between uh, like pure tech and AI in uh, editorial software, editorial use. So this is still to come, but it will probably happen, I don't know, in maybe one, two years. Well, obviously Microsoft is building AI into all of its office suite and Adobe's built a, a, you know, full functionality into all of its tools, whether it's video or audio related or Photoshop and, and that sort of thing. So it's definitely coming and it's going to be just part of that suite of products that, you know, journalists and everybody uses. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not going to be just journalists. So two things came out of that one that came to mind. One is, have you seen the fully AI newsroom? So there is a, it's online and I'll put a link to it and I'll, I'll have to send it to you afterwards. I, I apologize. I didn't think of it ahead of time. I probably should have, but it's literally, it's a fully AI read news and you can essentially go on and it's like a daily news show and it finds the articles. So it's got a query. It goes out, it finds the most current articles. It's got an AI voice that reads it. And I think there's two different voices as well. So it's not just the same presenter the whole time. And it's really, really interesting to kind of hear how it presents stories because it is quite dry, as you would expect. It's very factual and it's here's what happened and blah, blah, blah. But I think, and I think we talked about this when, you know, when we had our call before, is there, I guess there are two types of journalism. There's the factual stories about, you know, it's again, it's the sports, the weather, the traffic, all that sort of stuff. It's what happened at the city council last night. How did they vote? All that sort of stuff is kind of one level. But then you have the storytelling aspect to it. And I think that's what that's really what you're focusing and what you're talking about is that that storytelling element might actually become it's going to be even more important for humans to do that. How far away do you think AI is from being able to to do more of the actual storytelling aspect? And have you seen anything around that? Have you seen any tools? Have you tried anything to see if it if it can do the more storytelling aspect? I mean, obviously it can't go out and interview people and do the digging, but can it help support on on actually writing the stories? Or do you think that's still really entirely a human thing? Oh no, it definitely can write compelling stories. I'd bet that 
sometimes it's better than people probably in that. I think I think there are like two things here. And the first one is really this uh, AI tsunami that uh, we really see like more and more content written or prepared by AI. I also, I, I'm referring to um, to another study from June uh, 2023, where US news rating service identified over 300 websites that operate with little or no human oversight and publish articles written mostly or entirely by AI bots. So uh, that sixfold increase since May. So that's huge. And we'll observe like more and more, you know, that's magazines massive. or outlets that are like yeah, purely yeah. created by AI. And uh, I mean, robots can do interviews and uh, there is one Swedish company, I think they're called United Robots, that uh, designs those robots who can, uh, who or that, I don't know, you know, which word to use, that's that's tricky, uh, who can like interview real people or interview right. other robots okay. prepared by people before. <laughs> right, so, okay. you know, if you're writing a case study for like, your company blog, Probably like in two years, you, you won't have to speak to anyone to prepare it because you will train your robot, they will train their robot and robots will talk. And that would be amazing. That's it. And it'll be yeah. able to make a video and an audio and everything to go with it. You literally <laughs> won't have to do anything. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. But the second thing I wanted to uh, talk about is that at the same time, uh, people are really becoming more demanding when it comes to news. They they no longer look just for updates or for like mm, conventional storytelling. They want also to be educated on, on certain topics. And sometimes they want to be educated on those topics by specific people. I think uh, we'll have, you know, AI influencers or AI superstars in journalism as well, but um, that might take time. And I think they will like never replace uh, the best storytellers and the best journalists because it's, it's, yeah, it's actually that, um, you know, we, uh, we love technology because it, it helps us connect with other people and, when we um, like, we like certain titles, or we like, like or we like certain blogs, or uh, Instagram accounts, or news, because of certain people who work there. So, so we follow them. We want them to explain the world to us. Uh, we just don't want to be just updated, but to be entertained, to you know, sh- to to be shown the context of of the whole thing. Like, look at the influencer uh, business at market. I mean, we follow people and we buy stuff they they advertise because they advertise it. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that's something very hard to be taken away from us. As much as um, AI is good at storytelling, will there will always be like influencers and followers. Oh, maybe not always, but... <laughs> In like the next decade, I the, think there we'll will see. always, there will yeah. always, that'll always happen because always, that's how humans yeah. are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's just how humans are. Yeah, we're just like connecting with people, and uh, I think that in this you know ultra technological world where we are sitting uh, in front of our screens and spending like most of our time online, uh, 
there is there is this need of of connection with a human, and um, I think we have to take care of that. <laughs> For our own good as, yeah. as societies, as, as humanity. I know big words, but these are big questions. Yeah, they are. And it's, I I think, I, I don't know how it is there, but here, certainly after the lockdown, I think what happened is we saw, like a lot of the kids didn't, you know, didn't weren't able to go to school. They studied at home online or, you know, the parents helped them or whatever. And it had a huge impact on them, I mm-hmm. think. And what was interesting is is my son in particular is because he did a lot of online gaming and he played online with all of his friends anyway so when he was when they were in lockdown literally all they did was they just sat online and talked to each other anyway so it wasn't much different mm-hmm. than than maybe us back in the day when we were we just talked to our mates on the telephone all the time so mm-hmm. it's it, and and actually a lot of the times they would play a video game together. So what they do is they play the video game online, they hop on Discord or something, and they chat on Discord while they're doing it, like on a, you know, just as a group chat. And so they were able to stay in contact, but there certainly is this thing where they don't, or at least in what I'm watching from my son and his group of friends, is there was a period where they were very reluctant to go out. And they didn't want to go out. They didn't want to meet with each other and everything. But all of a sudden, they're now, I think they're all realizing that, hey, actually meeting with each other in person is actually kind of cool. And they really like it. And so there's like herds of children, you know, young adults, adolescents out all around town all the time. And they're all just hanging out in big groups, and which I've no, I haven't even seen in the past. Well, I've, I've lived in Tunbridge Wells for like 12 years now, and I've never seen anything like it. And it's just happened in the last year or so. So I've, I guess I'm sort of agreeing with you in saying that there's, I think there's hope for people that, you know, we do actually as humans really need that person to person contact. And, you know, it's, it's why I come into the office every day because I just prefer being in a space where there are other people working at home is fine sometimes, but I just find that I I prefer it being with somebody. I don't know. Are are you seeing the same same kind of thing there? Yeah, I can relate to a lot of what you're saying. I'm a very social person and I also work at home right now. So, you know, I have to somehow organize my free time so I really like go out and meet actual people because it's really important to me. Yeah. But I think that it's going to be like a, a great generational challenge. And I hear from, from different people that engaging in real meaningful relationships will be a biggest challenge for you know the young generation because it requires not only effort, but it also requires your readiness um, for the possibility of being rejected. I mean, if you function only in yeah. like online groups with you know people you like and they like you, yeah. it's like a different story than like being in a group of people that some might like you, some don't and so on. So, you know, if you, if you, if you want to engage in a relationship with an AI generated uh, man or woman, then you'll be always accepted and held and so on. If you engage in a real life relationship, there's always a risk of failure. And that's, uh, that's huge. I I attended a conference last month and um, there was a great talk by Scott Galloway 
who told uh, the audience that uh, he actually makes his two sons talk to strangers every time they go out on a walk. Yep. And sometimes it's very painful and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard, but he wants them to, to make those connections, even like, I don't know, asking uh, for change or asking what time it is and so on. I do. I literally yeah. do exactly the same thing with my son. <laughs> when we go out, I always have him order, you know, make sure that he orders his own food and that he talks yeah. to people and that he talks to people in the shops and all that sort of stuff. And I didn't even realize that was a thing. I just thought that was kind of, you know, the right thing to do, but it just seems to make sense. And he's from having done that, but I've done that his whole life, not mm. specifically because, you know, of COVID and, and lockdowns and everything else. It's just because I think I, I want him to be comfortable talking to people. Even if he's a little bit introverted, I still want him to be able to have the the ability and the skill to be able to do that because I think it's important. And I mean, I, I grew up in the South in the US and we talk, we'll talk everybody's ear off as everybody on the podcast who's listened knows. But anyway, yeah. So it's interesting that there are other people doing that on, on purpose. Yeah. And coming back to journalism, I mean, how interesting an interview made by a robot interviewing robot, like how interesting it would be. Is it something we want? Like, I know we live, I don't like we live in capitalistic world. We need to make money. Media needs to make money. But is it like, you know, is it, is it all? Is it the sense of, of, of that all? I, I don't believe I don't believe it because you can't you can't just change human nature that easily. Like all the research, like there is this Cambridge research that has been lasting for 80 years. It's a research on happiness, what makes people happy. And the answer is like, they don't change, you know, they don't change much. Like what makes us happy in life is, is love, family, relations, being kind to ourselves. It's, it's, it's that. So our nature is not that flexible and in all this um in all this race in all this digital acceleration i think it's even more important to uh, cultivate cultivate those values and and this 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 human perspective it's just it's some it's somehow it seems right for the world if we really want to live in a better world because technology can make our world better i i i i i have no doubts but uh we need people behind it and we need like people in all, all the contexts it creates. Yeah, 100%. And I know you mentioned before, you know, that you talked to people that you'd worked with, you know, a long while back that was still more in traditional journalism. What do they think? Like, what what's the conversation that you have when you go out for drinks or you're having dinner together or something when it's just in a casual? What What's sort of the, what's their opinion how does what direction does the conversation go is it is everybody worried about it or does everybody think wow this is really cool because we can do a bunch more research faster or you know are they using it to learn from or i don't know what's what are those conversations like it's interesting because i am i'm observing how it has changed since let's say last year when chat gpt launched so at the beginning there was this huge hype Oh, it's going to write, you know, all that boring stuff for me. It's going, you know, to write article. I will just go make myself a coffee. 
So we saw those, uh, yeah, like magazines generated by AI, some experiments that uh, some, some online media published, you know, okay, so today our editor-in-chief is AI and here's what he serves us. And then, of course, there were questions like, will it outperform humans? Will it replace journalists? Uh, and now I, I have a like feeling and um, it's not just feeling but uh what i see proves that this hype is going down a little bit because we already know what ai can do right now yeah all the things that we've mentioned speed up the work uh, do redundant tasks but um, more and more people are being skeptical because you really have to spend a lot of time training <laughs> chat GPT or any other model to make it produce like really good content. It's not that easy because the content it produces now, it's still quite generic. And sometimes I, I use chat GPT every day, almost every day in my work, but sometimes I get frustrated because it takes me more time to prompt it properly than it would take me to, you know, write the damn paragraph myself. Yeah, there is always, there is always that. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, but it's a huge help, especially if, um, you know, you're struggling with uh, with some ideas or you don't know how to start or you just need some like little brainstorming because every creative job, I think you'll agree, is you can't be creative like 24 hours a day and seven days a week. You need also this time of not doing, not thinking or doing nothing because it's it's just not possible to have like brilliant ideas you know one after another so yeah. chat gpt of course helps yeah but i'd say that the the attitude is quite dis distant right now it's it's not it's i think people realized that they are not in such danger maybe as they thought it would put to them at least for now because they are still cheaper than ai probably but Generally, I see that journalists, you know, they, they experience a lot of burnout, a lot of feelings that are connected with, with the loss of sense if, in, in what they are doing, because nobody just wants to be, you know, a machine making money. Um, they, people want to like do something meaningful in life and it's getting harder and harder in journalism. Uh, yeah, because there is this race, there is this impact on goals, on numbers, daily outcomes, uh, how many page views, how many users, and so on. I think that after 10, 15 years, just like me, like many people, you know, they, 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 they switch to something similar, marketing or PR or other jobs or domains where they can still use their creativity, they can still use technology, but they can like slow their pace a little bit. And another thing is that some people actually have also like bigger problems to worry about than just AI, because <laughs> like take Poland, like past 10 years, we had conservative government of law and justice in yeah. power. And they totally monopolized public TV and public radio. So for eight years, people who worked there either believed in, you know, everything the government said, or they pretended they did not to lose their jobs. So eight years of propaganda and eight years of, you know, uh, manipulative content. And now, like most of them, you know, they fear about their jobs because the government is going to change. 
And then like there were also people who watched this TV for eight years and some of them like didn't have other sources of yeah. knowledge. So, yeah. you know, that's, that's like a big thing to, to, to manage. <laughs> I mean, public media, that's huge power, right? And when I, when I talk to like people also in other countries, then they have also like other problems than just AI. Even, you know, even like in the topics that uh, some of them, uh, you know, were um, that, their, that their conversations were overheard or that, you know, they dealing with some trials right. uh, for defamation or something. Yeah. So there are like still a lot of problems that are present in the discussion and AI is just one of them. But it will be, of course, very interesting to, to see like um, what's up in, in the future. It's interesting that you brought up politics because yeah. I just had a conversation yesterday and I think the, the the conversation I had will probably be the week before yours, but she's a lady who works for the UK government in Washington, DC. And one of the things that we talked about was the, the change in politics because the US has a big election coming up this year. Yeah. Mexico has a big election coming up this year. The UK has a big election coming up this next year. And so it's widely expected in, in certainly in the UK that we're going to go from a conservative government to a labor government. So we're going to have a complete, not a complete 180, but we're certainly going to have a change in, in the approach of the government and the politics and the things that they focus on. And it, it's exactly like you were saying, one of the, one of the big areas of focus for the current government is, you know, the current government wants to be a world leader in AI. We want, you know, the UK to be the leader in, in driving the the conversation about regulation and all that sort of stuff. But we may get a new government next year and that new government may not have that as a focus. They may be focused on entirely different things like the rail strikes and the NHS strikes and the public sector, you know, and, and a whole other set of priorities. And so it, it's really interesting that you say that because yeah, there is you know, we like to, I like to live in this little AI bubble that I'm in mm. and, you know, everybody's worried about AI all the time, but you're absolutely right. You know, not everybody thinks about AI 24 seven and it's, it's not always the first thing, you know, on the top of everybody's mind. Yeah. Especially that in newsrooms really have like bigger, prob bigger, like technological problems than lack yeah. of, or yeah presence of AI. And um, from our conversations at Authentica, you know, we heard a lot of times that, oh, AI, maybe it's not for us, or it's not the right timing. Because sometimes, you know, I think that like, no newsroom has, as I said, like, impl has implemented like a real AI strategy. It's all, you know, people use it just by themselves there is no like you know a guideline that okay we use this tool some banned use of chat gpt that's like what i know because they don't want you know their content to be written by chat gpt some banned chat gpt from scraping and reading their uh their their news like i think times new york the new york times the guardian so they don't want ai to be trained or on their content yeah. but um in many newsrooms like the real problem is not like lack of ai or or presence of ai or or help of ai but the lack of like really efficient tools for some basic journalistic processes and i'm not exaggerating because i know i know a big newsroom that is dealing with a problem of um disappearing paragraphs the system sometimes cuts out the last paragraph of the article right. and then you know a journalist 
writes a text, submits it to the editor, and the editor says, where the hell is the last paragraph? Why this story right. doesn't end? Yeah, and yeah. it's the system, you know? So if you have such a bug and you cannot fix it, then that's a problem. Yeah. Or there are CMSs that like don't have auto-save mode, so people use Word or Google Docs to write their stories because they are afraid they will lose their, yeah. their, their whole work. Yeah. So sometimes it's really like not the question of you know AI tools and some fancy wizards, but the question of like some basic infrastructure. And many media are still working on uh, on software uh, that you know that was developed 20, 25 years ago. I, Again, it's yep. it's I'm not exaggerating, and um, this is still a standard in many newsrooms in at least in, in Central East Eastern Europe. And I think that you know, the further it's the same here southeast you go, <laughs> it's, it's the might same. be the worst. Yeah, and yeah. as I say, like still still many newsrooms operate as I call it with string and pencil, and. Um, then uh, a couple of months ago, I talked to um, a guy who runs a small uh, team in Nigeria. And, you know, he told me, what AI? We have power outages every day here. And I cannot, you know, put something online because I don't have like backup power uh, uh, yeah. source. Yeah. Like, yeah. what are we talking about? No, you're absolutely right. And it's it's good. And I'm glad you mentioned it, actually, because like I said, you know, we... The, these conversations focus on, you know, very much the kind of the UK, the US and that sort of Western Europe type thing where we generally don't have those sorts of issues, but the rest of the world isn't, isn't like that. And so this, this, this could be a very focused sort of issue on a, on, on one particular region of the world. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But also I think that I, you know, there are, and there always, there will always be pioneers. I mean, Many media organizations are at the same time tech organizations. They have like good uh, design development teams, like solid IT structures, and they can come up with their own solutions, like Financial Times, The Guardian, The New York Times, like big titles. But of course, they are, you know, top of the top, but there are also local media, regional media. And uh, first of all, they don't have that kind of money then they might not have the kind of talent internally to to build uh, you know required solutions to, so yeah. they they are using like you know like market re market ready products uh for example but again it's like those big holdings those big media groups are not the only media that exists in the world we like to think like that yeah. but in yeah. many countries these are actually local and regional media that are like more important to people because, of course, we care about what's going on, you know, uh, in the government, but we care most about things that are like closest to us, our town, our uh, neighborhood, what's happening locally. So um, I think it's also something we need to uh, acknowledge that, that there are different kinds of media and probably we'll see those um, to speed to speed, yeah, yeah, uh, media that will transform and progress fast, and those that will somehow stay behind. But again, that's that's nothing new. No, you're right. That's always been that way. Mm. I think it's always been that way. So, all of that actually leads into, and we have to talk about ethics because if we don't talk about ethics, everybody will yell at us afterwards because <laughs> it's obviously a huge question and it's a big, 
It's a, it's, it's a consideration that everybody has to have. And I think it's particularly sensitive around journalism as well, because you're delivering news, you're, and, and in a lot of instances, you're delivering opinion and everything else that goes with it, or maybe not opinion, but some sort of a viewpoint about, you know, explaining what's happened and what that means and what the context is. What are your thoughts on, on the ethics of sort of using AI? I mean, copyright and IP is one thing, which is a whole kind of separate discussion, but it just, I don't know what, what, what's the, what's the ethical, what's the ethical discussion like in within the journalistic circles? Um, I think this is something that, you know, uh, is, is treated like this, uh, that rat in the room and nobody really, you <laughs> okay, know, yeah. you, you know, you need to take it out, but you don't want to, and nobody, <laughs> no one wants to do it. No one wants to do this. I know that EU is working on some kind of uh, European guidelines for media in terms of AI and ethics. In Poland, we have just seen a launch of new organizations, uh, an association of digital publishers, and their first goal, that's what they say, is to prepare um, some kind of ethical guidelines for newsrooms. I think the problem is that we really, you know, we don't know what are the mid and long-term consequences of using AI and like how far those algorithms go. And that's, that's the hard part because of course we can, we can prepare some guidelines. We can always say that if we have a human story, then a human editor needs to read it at the end because it might be something delicate. I also saw a research, a study on the analysis actually of, of guidelines for AI in 52 newsrooms. And most of them like were said to lack teeth and be like very vague and very general. So I think that we're just really nowhere with this topic for now, because that's the paradox is that AI can be as dumb or as smart as we are and as we train it. And um, what we can do, I think, is to include, you know, in all those teams building AI models, in all those teams preparing ethical guidelines, we, we should include like people from different backgrounds with different education, uh, tech people, but also lawyers, but also journalists and also women, women in tech, because uh, otherwise we'll have, you know, AI trained by our patriarchal patriarchal system that will be biased as uh, like still like our world is in many, uh, in many aspects. So I think we really need diversity in those teams, in people who work with AI. And I'm not sure whether it's possible to, uh, you know, uh, to create AI that will be free of bias. I, I don't know. I'm no expert. I don't know how you do it, really. No. I think that it can help in detecting gender bias or political bias or political polarization. Maybe. Yeah, because even now, um, I think there is some kind of add on to X platform that shows, oh, this this tweet is like a bias. This is, or this is fake news, or this is probably oh, the, fake uh, news. Yeah, the community guidelines things where it, people yeah. can add to it and say, yeah, 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 and add extra information to it. I know what you mean. It's really yeah. handy, actually. I like that. That was a good yeah. addition to the platform, yeah. I thought. Yeah. 
So uh, I hope will it will become a standard. And here, uh, you know, this this uh, let's say will have this ethical AI maybe. And seeing like how limited and restrained like the open net really is. I mean, you can't you know show a picture of um, a, a painted painting with naked woman because it will be um, right. marked as uh, some sexual content then i think those algorithms algorithms might have like the if the opposite effect they might somehow maybe even you know show us less <laughs> than we could see it's and it's interesting because and i think the the little ring, we could spend like 3 hours just talking about this yeah i think the interesting thing though is I, I think the question that we have to answer as a society is, at the minute, what it is, is it's a mirror, I think. Mm -hmm. And so what we're seeing is we're just looking at the data as the data is. And what we're seeing, we don't like, because people are biased. Yes. It, it's a fact. And so we have to make a decision of how we want the AI to be. Do we want it to show us a vision of the world as we think we mm -hmm. want it to be? Or do we want it to show us the world as it is? Because if we start removing the bias that's in the data and we have it sort of tweak that somehow and give us different results, then what it's doing is it's now showing us a fictitious view mm -hmm. of what the world is like. And do we want that? Or do we actually want to see the ugly truth that's behind mm -hmm. it? Because yeah, exactly. when we see the ugly truth, at least we can talk about it and we can... Yeah say, well, we need to do something to change how this works so that the data will then start to show it naturally. And yeah. it, it's a it's a big question. And I don't know, yeah. I don't know the answer to that. But oh, it's me uh, neither. And it's it's big and it's really complicated because there are so many, you know, little paths that you have to examine and take into account. Or even the the very essence of like who is responsible for those AI models. I mean yeah. What kind of people work there? There was an article by Time who, that reported that OpenAI used uh, Kenyan um, workers to improve uh, ChatGPT's safety, and you know they paid yep. them like nothing, two dollars per hour. Or, or there was this um, movie about Filipino internet sweepers who remove yep. that explicit content from various platforms. So that's like you know another. A rabbit hole, another well to examine. So it's such a huge topic. Um, I don't know, maybe we should have, you know, like we have the, this World Atomic Agency. Maybe we should have the World AI Agency and some smart people there who yeah. could somehow control it on a high level. So that it, it, I, I've heard those comparisons that AI is like, you know, nuclear energy and it only depends on us yeah. how we use it. Yeah. So yeah. maybe it would like make sense to really put, you know, smart people together and I'll run and, it. and <laughs> ensure that we use this technology according to some like standards that are that are really you know, human rights standards and that we don't exactly. violate them. No, it's it's amazing that you said that as well, because I was at an event earlier this year and the challenge with ethics, of course, is whose ethics do you use? Because different parts of the world have different ideas about what's right and wrong. But 
the oh, I'm trying to remember the lady's name. I'll try and remember it and put it in the show notes. But her point was exactly what you just said, which is the place we have to start is the human rights aspect because we do have global agreement on human rights. And so when we start to come up with those global rules about AI, we have to start with those human rights framework. And that's the basis that we then start to build on, which I thought was really interesting. So I'm, I'm glad you got there as well. Yeah, I think it was also in, in your episode, in the episode with Sherry Matthew, that he also talked about that, that yeah. we need, you know, yeah. human rights as, as like some fundamentals for, for all, all AI regulations. Yep. Shout out to Sharon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Just one last little bit. So thank you for your time today. We're It's pushing on to an hour. So I'm, I'm conscious I don't want to take up your whole day. So just to sort of wind up the conversation, we've talked about a lot of stuff so far, but if you had to sort of distill it down into some words of advice or, you know, some some sort of future vision, what, what would that be to maybe people who are getting into journalism or who are thinking about it? Like, like, you know, what would you say to those people now? Maybe kids, you know, students are at university or whatever. Yeah, I think the first thing is <laughs> don't study journalism because <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> no, it's true. It can be studied. You know, you learn it in practice, and experience is everything. All right. Yeah. I mean, go study. I don't know creative writing or um, some interesting part of the world, but. I truly believe that studying journalism um, might be a waste of time because, again, people ha have the, those aspirations that they want to change the world and they then end up in the newsroom writing weather reports and it's not what journalism is all about. So I think that like the best recipe is actually to find uh, your thing, to find your niche, to find something that truly like interests you and sparks this this interest in you. Because journalism is really it's a hard it's a hard job. It's like it's not an easy piece of bread. And if you think that you can like uh, be a journalist and just sit in a newsroom and write articles with some help of AI, that's like maybe you should you know look for another job because that that won't bring you happiness and fulfillment. No, hundred percent. And um, it's it's also hard because it's still, uh, you know, you need to like really talk to a lot of people, call a lot of people, be really like, you know, pry in someone's life sometimes. So it, it, it brings a lot of also responsibility and you have to have a thick skin, but it can be, of course, very rewarding because from time to time you can like do a really good thing for your community, for for a hero of your story, or even for your country. And that's what like makes it so special still. And um, I think that it's really like the, the basic mistake people uh, make is that they think it's easy and that it's like only writing articles, writing stories. And it's it's not. It's, no, it's uh, way more complicated than that. Yeah, and you have to be really like creative and you really have to have your own ideas. And sometimes it's like hard to come up with, with an idea. But of course, if, you know, if it calls, then, then, then go for it because we'll need like smart people who, who could explain the world to us. But really, studying media history <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe, maybe not, might not be the best idea. So become a specialist in some area and then yeah. use that and, to... And be curious, you know, yeah. I think we need, uh, like, 
everyone who wants to be a journalist needs to have this curiosity, this kind of wonder mindset that, you know, you go out on a walk and you see, you know, seven topics that you could write about because, uh, I don't know, you see a, a poster somewhere on the wall, you see, you talk to someone. So I think this is crucial to have this wonder mindset and look at the world with eyes of a child so that you cultivate this, this curiosity inside. And yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs> Love it. I think that's great advice. Okay. So just quickly, a few quick fire questions at the end that I like to ask everybody just out of personal interest more than anything else. So in your mind, do you envision AI as being male or female? I think male, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Is there a particular reason? I think because in Polish we have to use inflections. So if you say, uh, could could you, you have to define the gender. And when right. I talk to ChatGPT, I usually ask in masculine form. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> and well, that's a, that's a great point, actually. Does, does AI or artificial intelligence, does that have a gender in the language or is it neutral? Or do you... Like like it's, French, everything is either yeah, male or it's female, right? Feminine, but we say AI, which is you know like uh, like an abbreviation, so it's hard. But of course, like the the way you speak defines the way you look at the world. So I don't know. I also have this feeling that you know these are really like men who've been uh, working on all these yeah. models, and I'd like to see more women in in uh, in the topic of AI. I was I was at a fringe event a couple of weeks ago that was um, women in AI, and it was a very small group and it was a very small gathering and I was privileged to be the only man that was there. But there were sort of thirty eight women who were founding companies or or working as engineers like software engineers and data engineers. So there is a there is a small community of women who are doing it, but it's certainly not large enough. So I totally agree with you there. So the next question then to follow that one is, is, is when you have an AI personal assistant, what do you think you might name it? Hmm. Well, I don't know. Stephen, maybe? <laughs> Sorry, what was that? I like the name, Stephen. Stephen, Stevie, okay. Or Steve, maybe. Okay, yeah. interesting. <laughs> I like it. No, it's great. It's great. I just, some people come up with very fancy classical names and some people, I mean, I always joke that I call it Jeff um, uh -huh. just because- it's it's sort of a humorous thing that I've always done with software. And um, I anytime I build a software tool, I call it Jeff for some yeah, reason. In, in Polish, Steven is quite an old school name, but brings like good memories as of, you know, your grandpa, something like that. So nice. yeah, maybe that okay. would be a good idea. <laughs> I like it. Okay, cool. And just the last one is thinking about the future, maybe 50, 100 years from now. You know, there've been a lot of films over time that have, sort of given us a sci-fi vision of the future, whether it's Star Trek and, you know, being the utopia and there's no money and everybody's peaceful and, you know, we're out flying around the universe mm -hmm. or there's kind of Mad Max on the other end where society's completely broken down. There's no, there's nothing left and it's chaos. And then there's all the stuff in between the cyberpunks and all that sort of thing in, in the middle. And I'm just curious what, if you had to choose a some sort of a film maybe or or some sort of sci-fi vision of what the future might be what what you think you would choose my dream would be to live in the world from the avatar way of water the first okay, part yeah. of the movie yeah. you know when you're in symbiosis with 
with the whole nature and you're like always connected and you can communicate to, you know, trees and flowers and all living creatures. And you only take as much as you can give back. So that's my utopia. Nice. But I'm afraid that we're going to witness some severe conflicts based on global warming and the climate change, uh, because some parts of the world in 100 years will be just impossible to live in. Uh, our number is still growing. And uh, I think the uh, UN said that we're going to reach like 12 billion people. That will be like the peak of, of, of the number of people on Earth. And then I think that we're rather um, facing a very ugly scenario of the future, probably with great uh, divisions uh, between people. I mean, a small group of very rich individuals who enjoy peace, comfort and everything they need and the rest uh, who are fighting for even survival. But I strongly, I don't want to like believe in this version, really, because I see that more and more people, you know, are in this state of awakening and realizing that, hey, it can't just go on like that forever. We have to do something. And I really, really hope that we'll come back to seeing the world as like something, you know, given to us to take care of not something we can like exploit without any consequences. So I'm hoping for that. I love it. That's a good, that's a good thing to hope for. And it's up. I think it's, it's very much up to us uh, as the current society to hopefully set some, some ground rules that will help us get to that at some point in the future. But uh, yeah. I suspect you're right. I think we'll see some civil unrest at some point, yeah. some serious civil unrest that will be a combination of factors. It will be, it's not going to be just because of AI. It's going to be because of a whole load of things all, yeah. you know, combined into one. And if if we do get growing population, but also shrinking places that we can live, there's going to be a lot more competition for for the nicer places and places that people yeah. can be. And we know how that's turned out historically. But um, yeah, and technology technology won't be you know the the, the solution to this pain. Uh, it won't be like an answer. No. No, mm -hmm. it might help with yes. some of the some of the things, yeah. but it's not it's not going to help yeah. with all of it. Mm -hmm. Joanna, thank you very much. It's been a really really great conversation. I've really enjoyed it, and um, thanks for your time today. And hopefully, at some point, we can maybe loop back around. I'm sure there'll be some massive story about journalism, and you know something will happen. Either you know some news group will get caught using AI, or or there'll be some massive breakthrough that that we'll want to talk about, but you're, you're welcome to come back anytime. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure and uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's meet again sometime. And hopefully next time I'm in Poland, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll message you and hopefully we can meet up and have a coffee or something. That'd be great. Yeah. With pleasure. With pleasure. Brilliant. Thanks, Joanna. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. The Creatives with AI Podcast. The spiritual home of creatives curious about AI and its role in their future. future.